And when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. And he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. And said, Behold, I see heaven open, and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. And they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he, calling upon the name of the Lord, said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to thy charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. A few nights ago, down in Miami, Florida, I was awakened in the night with this scripture in my mind. I do not remember to have ever preached a sermon on this subject before, but I did preach on this subject that night. And I do not know any scripture anywhere in the Acts of the Apostles in which there are more things about which you could preach than the story of the death of Stephen. In the first place, if you want to preach a sermon on a man dying in line of duty, he died in the line of duty. Robert E. Lee said duty is the noblest word in the English language. There's no word quite so wonderful. Somebody said it's a cold word. But the word duty doesn't become cold when it's worn with love. His sense of duty was worn with the love of God in his heart. I could preach many sermons from this scripture, so many wonderful things. I have been greatly tempted to preach a sermon on this deathbed story in comparison with the other deathbed stories in the Bible. The Bible's full of deathbed stories. You know, people talk so lightly about evangelists that tell deathbed stories. If you do not believe in deathbed stories, you better not read the Bible. It's full of such stories. Over and over again, the story of death. Earth's teeming millions have lived and dreamed and died. Generation after generation have marched to the graveyard. Just this past week, uh, we took part in the funeral of a friend who sleeps out here in a cemetery near this place. Our good friend, Dr. Weiser, member board trustees of this school. Some time ago over in New Zealand, Dr. Ironside, who was here last year, went to be with the Lord. Another member of our board, Dr. Borman, that great Bible teacher fell asleep in the arms of death some time ago. Another member of our board. Dr. Jepson, who was elected to our board last year, up in Minneapolis, went to be with the Lord, his daughter's here in school. Since last Easter, many folks have marched to the grave, and we are marching that way. All the teeming millions are on that journey to the cemetery, except the few that may be alive when Jesus comes. The folks that love Jesus and are saved. You know, the deathbed story of Stephen is so different from the other stories in the Bible. For instance, let me just illustrate for a moment. Take the story of the rich fool, that man who had a great harvest, and his land brought forth plentifully, and he gathered in the harvest and folded his hands and told his soul to take its ease. And went out, figuratively speaking, he sat on his front porch and said, I've got all I need. I'm going to enjoy what I have. God said he was a fool. He was a fool because he wasn't prepared to die. 
with none of the details about why he wasn't repaired or recorded. He was tied up with this world, but had no contact with the next. There's a story of the rich man and Lazarus. Wonderful story it is. A story of tragedy and blood and fire. It's a horrible story. A rich man clothed in purple and fine linen and fed sumptuously every day. A rich man, everything at heart could want. Lived a luxurious life. Plenty of food, plenty of clothes. Servants to wait on him. Everything that men think they want. And he died, was buried, lift up his eyes in hell, being in torments. And he cried with a parched tongue to somebody across the chasm. Somebody we call Abraham, or Lazarus, in his bosom and said, I'd like to have some help. It tells the story of a poor man laid at the rich man's gate that the, no doubt the rich man fed and thought he was doing a good thing that he fed this man. And no doubt was known the community as a philanthropist because he fed a beggar when he fed the dogs. And the beggar died and was carried away in Abraham's bosom, a place of rest and peace where he was comforted and didn't need anything anymore. Wonderful story, separated by a gulf forevermore that nobody could pass. But doesn't tell why the rich man went to hell or why uh, the poor man went to heaven. The story is not told. There are details connected with the death of Stephen that are not tied up, as far as I know, with any death story in the Bible anyway. And I never saw it till recently. I like to talk to you on this Easter Sunday morning about it. You know, one of the tragedies of this Easter Sunday is up and down the land, so many people will never know the meaning of it. They'll sing these great songs over the radio, and you'll hear them over and over again. The sermons will be preached, and men will listen to the messages. But many of the pulpit's messages of this day will be meaningless messages as far as Easter's concerned. They won't mean anything. Talk about Easter stands for peace. Easter doesn't stand for peace, not now. Easter doesn't stand for peace. Easter never has produced peace in this world. Easter's an issue. It's a battle line. It's marked out by the finger of God down the highway of the ages. It's not a peace day. Not as far as this world's concerned. It is as far as individuals in this world's concerned. Individuals have peace, a peace of God which passes all understanding. Some of us know what that means. Blessed peace, sweet peace, the gift of God's love. But this Easter doesn't mean peace for this world, not now. Some people talk about the Spirit of Christ in an effort to cover up the fact that he rose from a tomb. And Easter always reminds me of the close of the age. When I hear about it and listen to the messages about it, it reminds me of that picture of one of the last things before the Lord comes. There'll be a form of godliness, but men deny the power thereof. We have such strange ideas. How peculiarly ignorant the world seems to be of what Easter means and other spiritual things. And yet we shouldn't be surprised, because spiritual things are spiritually designed. Only men whose ears are tuned to heaven can hear heavenly music. And only those who have spiritual eyes can see spiritual things. So it isn't surprising after all. What is this story wrapped up here? Stephen, a man of God. Wonderful man. Filled with the Holy Ghost and had great wisdom. 
Any man filled with the Holy Ghost has wisdom to do what God wants him to do. Wisdom always comes from God. We've told the students in this school over and over, they can acquire knowledge, but you can never acquire wisdom. You get that from heaven. You know, a man called of God, filled with the Holy Ghost, always has wisdom necessary to do what God wants him to do. Maybe not what God wants someone else to do. Far as your life's concerned, what God wants you to do, the wisdom that you need will come to you when you are filled with the Holy Ghost. You can do what God told you to do. Go where God told you to go. Sail the sea God told you to sail. Climb to the heights God told you to climb. Go into the valley where God told you to go. Suffer the persecution God told you to suffer. Carry the cross God told you to carry if you're filled with the Holy Ghost. Stephen was chosen after prayer in order to promote the cause of Jesus Christ and take some responsibilities off of his twelve disciples. He was chosen for a job. His job was to try to settle controversy by properly distributing, he and a few others, the uh, uh, help between the Grecian and the Jewish women who were Christians. Some strife came then, as it does usually come. Always, somehow or other, that's been characteristic of the ages. Even God's people sometimes have controversy. So Stephen was chosen. Ordinary, seemingly routine. We always think of money matters as just commonplace business. Distributing charity, trying to make peace. Rather simple sort of thing we think it is, you know, we talk about it. But you know where we emphasize here that the secular and the sacred for God's people are not two fields of services. Stephen, chosen of Almighty God, was miraculously used of God. And it's very significant that the man who was chosen to help distribute to, to the necessities of the saints in a satisfactory way has wrapped up with his life and death a story that the pen of inspiration wrote for all generations. For us today, this strange, wonderful man filled with the Holy Ghost. And by the way, he gave a good testimony. He never compromised. He was always true. Say, listen. If you want to be prepared for the great emergencies when you need Christian character, you better meet the smaller emergencies of life successfully. It's a little compromise now that leaves you anemic and helpless when the great hour of crisis comes. And sometime you're going to meet a great hour of crisis. You can't go God's way without sometime running into some blood. You can't go under his banner without sometime being in the front trenches of battle. There's no way out for you. Crisis came. So the crisis came for Stephen. The thing that impressed me is that he was so sweet when the time came. So many of us amid the jarring battles of life and all the strife and conflict we get embittered. The prayer of my heart is, as the years pile up, that God will give me courage to keep fighting, but grace to stay sweet. Blessed is the man, blessed is the woman, true to God, never wavering, that goes on down the road of life, crisis after crisis, never flinching, persecution, suffering, opposition, and you'll have it if you go his way. But he was sweet. 
And when the shadow of the angel wing of death hovered above him, there was no bitterness there. When they brought him to the council, they said he looks like an angel. I wonder if they knew how an angel looked. He looks like an angel. And then, at the last moment, he cried out so not only God and angels and he turned, he could hear it, but so all the cursing, hissing, mocking mob with their fingers in their ears could hear him too. As he said, lay it not to that charge. And he fell asleep in the arms of Jesus. What a story. But the thing I'm interested in discussing with you this Easter morning is all the, uh, the issues wrapped up in this death scene. What were the issues? You remember in the 8th chapter here, Stephen had told about the history of the race. They'd ask him, what do you have to say for yourself? And he began to tell them. He reproved them. He said, uh, you remember Moses, how you treated him, and Abraham, how you treated him. And all down the ages, man after man, hour after hour, how did you meet the issues? And they didn't like it. He heaped up charge against charge to them. They began to bite themselves with anger. But they didn't rush upon him until he said, I see Jesus. And then the mob started. I see Jesus. They said, get a rock. Pick up that stone. Kill him. He talked about Moses and said, you rejected Moses. You didn't follow the leadership of your prophets. You've been a stiff-necked people. And they didn't like it. But they didn't kill him for that. They threw rocks at him. Because when he said, I see Jesus, he was dealing with the issue of ages. Let's remember it. There's only one conflict in this world. It's not between political parties. Say what you please. It's not between uh, different ideologies and the philosophy of government. Not that. There's only one issue. God's redemptive plan against the redemptive plans of men. It started back there in the Garden of Eden when a man and woman walked out on God Almighty and accepted the devil's plan. God planted the garden. God did it. There had been no flowers without God, no fruit trees without God. And they didn't deserve anything, but God made them and gave them to them and told them how to live after he did it. Their existence in the garden, to begin with, didn't depend upon how they did. It depended upon the goodness of God. Adam was there. God made him. God didn't say, to this dust I'll make you if you'll do so and so. Not that. God just made a man. Put him in. And then God took a father interest in him and said, you ought to have a wife. You're lonely. And he made a woman. All of grace. All of goodness. Told them how to live. They disobeyed God and stepped out on God and chose the devil's philosophy. The religion antagonistic to God. For the devil's no enemy to religion. He's a friend of religion. 
He has religions, plenty of them, enough to damn the human race, and he's damning the race with religion. And he said, you don't need God. Take care of yourself. Be your own God. What do you want somebody telling you what to do? Live your own life. And God said, that's not my way. Get out of this God. And they started out, but God said, I still love you. And God Almighty clothed them with the skins of animals. That's life for life. The shedding of blood was introduced in this world as God's redemptive method back there when Adam and Eve fell. The blood of animals. They went out clothed. They understood religion. They understood without the shedding of blood there was no salvation. They believed it. They had tried to hide from God behind their own fig leaves and the garden they'd cultivated in the bushes. But God wouldn't behold them in their nakedness and shame and sin. And then they couldn't hide there, and there they were. And God said, I'll fix you up so you can talk to me again. And he clothed them with the skins of animals. They went out, clothed with animal skins. Blood was shed. Now, follow me just a minute. When they stepped out there, not only that happened, but it wasn't long until the issue clashed with the issue God again. A baby was born named Cain. Cain. First little baby. First baby smile that was ever seen was his smile. First baby tear ever trickled down a cheek was trickling down his cheek. The first woman ever hugged a baby was Eve. There were no other babies. She saw the first baby. Just like other babies, as good as anybody else. And there was another baby named Abel. And and one day there was a clash. It wasn't a clash between brother and brother. Don't misunderstand. It was a clash between God's redemptive plan and man's plan. God said without the shedding of blood there's no remission. I clothed Adam and Eve with sheep with the skins of animals. And uh, this is my way. And one day uh, Abel said here's the offering. An animal. I accept your way. And Cain said, I'll make my own plans. I've worked hard. I have a harvest. I'll gather some wheat, uh, some of my own labor, and I'll offer it to God. Abel was all right. He was kind. Nothing said about Abel's anger. I think Abel may have wept when he saw Cain's. And I imagine he said, Cain, why did you do that? Why not accept God's way? Why that, Cain? Why that? But God said, I won't accept what you broke. God put his arms around Abel and loved him in fellowship. And Cain hated his own brother. And the first blood ever shed by man was shed around this issue of the ages. The issue. Listen. The issue, and there's only one issue. 
It's God's plan or the world's plan. And the first battle ever fought was fought there. The first man that ever died, as far as we know, was a man that died for God's plan. Righteous Abel. I want to meet him in heaven. He's one man I want to talk to. He took it back in those early days. All down the years, it's been that way. Fullness of time came. Jesus came down from heaven to earth, God's Lamb. Sermon on the Mount, he preached. I think the devil knew who had come. He tried to kill him when he was a baby. The devil didn't want to meet the issue. I think in the time of temptation, that instead of the devil challenging Jesus, I think Jesus challenged the devil. I don't think the devil challenged Jesus. I don't think he ever wanted to meet him at all. I think Jesus Christ met the devil, challenged him, and faced the foe. And all the forces of hell were lined up against him. They tried to kill him before he got the cross. They tried to murder him. He went on down the road. And then after they pulled out his beard and put that crown of thorns on him and kicked him and cuffed him and did to him what would have killed anybody in the world except Jesus. Nobody could kill him. Somebody had come that couldn't be murdered. You could kill Abel. You could slay the prophets. You can put the saints of God in furnaces of fire. But here's one person that can't be killed. The world tried to kill when he stood up on, hung on that cross, and all the cursing, mocking, spitting mob gathered around him and tried to kill him, they couldn't do it. And after a while, hanging there in the darkness, the agony, after man had done everything that man could do, he bowed his head and cried with a loud voice, It's finished. Not faint, not weak, not a sickly, faint, despairing, give-up cry, not that. He laid down his life. And the world thought it had succeeded in killing him. <laughs> Said, we've got rid of him, that issue's settled. We'll win now. We got rid of the prophets. And it's been one battle up till now, and we'll settle it for all time. And God's sons come and rejected and dead and in a tomb. Let's go fishing. Get back to business. Let's see there's no body fool about it. Put a Roman seal there. Rome says he's dead. And if anybody steals his body, they'll be lying about it. But they might start an upright, seal it, and put the soldiers there. But they forgot that Jesus said something else. He said, no man takes my life from me. I lay it down on myself. I have power to do it. And I have power to take it up again. 
No man can take it. I'll lay it down. When I lay it down, I'll, I'll take it up. And three days later, he took it up. Somebody came back there to anoint his body. And he said, Mary, oh, it's you. Yeah, it was he. Listen. And all the persecution started because they told that story. There's only one bright spot in all the past that gives any hope for all the future. And that's an open tomb with a light burning in it. The blackest picture in all the world's Calvary. If that's all, there's nothing worth living for. And man would be a fool to die for that. But that's not all. There's an open tomb. An open tomb. He's not dead. He was dead. Because he chose to die. To give the human race a chance. And when he laid his life down, he reached down into that tomb and took it up again and walked out. That's the issue. They didn't kill the early Christians for telling people that they ought to live moral lives. The devil's no enemy to morals. He told Adam and Eve to be decent. He didn't tell them to lie and steal and commit adultery and murder somebody. He told them to be nice folks, but don't take God's plan. Why, they didn't martyr Stephen because he said you rejected Moses or were too stiff-necked to accept the prophets. Listen just a minute. The prophet wasn't issue. It's a redemptive plan that the prophet brought that's the issue. A preacher is nature. Men can reject me and get away with it. But you can't reject the Christ I preach without dying and going to hell and crying for a drop of water like the rich man did. The business of the preacher is to force the issue. And we're living in an age when that issue is not being forced. If it was forced today, they'd be martyrdom still. This world has on its dirty hands the blood of Christ. And he didn't stay dead. And the fact that he didn't stay dead condemns all the race. If Jesus Christ had stayed in that tomb, somebody might have said, what a pity that a man, a poor fanatic like that, was rejected and crucified. They must have been a cruel people. They should have overlooked it. This age would have been charitable. And the scholars would have said, well, that was too bad. One of the black places in the history of the world, too bad. But he isn't dead. And when he isn't dead, that means that God's son's been rejected. 
the Son of God, God's Son, has been rejected. And God said that there's no other way except this way. Now, the thing that got that crowd with Stephen, just about the time he is getting ready to the point in his sermon, he looked up and said, I see Jesus, not Christ. Christ is an ordinary one. Who is Jesus? That's the earth in thee. Woman shall be with child, bring forth a son. Thou shalt call his name Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sins. His name is Jesus and that means a savior. And God's only savior. He said, I see Jesus. Heaven's open. And he's standing at the Father's right hand. The one you tried to get rid of isn't dead. He's up yonder. The one, the very one, the body into whose hands you draw nails, his feet into which you drove a spike are standing up in heaven. Not just a spiritual resurrection. Not a ghostly speck of spirit. Not that. And he said he's the son of man. Not the son of God, the son of man. He was the son of God. He always has been the son of God. He was the son of God before God ever lighted a star or put a dewdrop on a rose. He was a son of God from the morning of eternity, if you can go back that far. From everlasting to everlasting, he and the Father were one. He didn't say, I see the Son of God up in heaven. He said, I see the Son of Man. Jesus. The Son of Man's up in heaven. The one you've crucified. The one you've spurned. The one you've rejected. When you spit in his face, you were spitting in somebody's face. You were doing something to God's son. And you rejected God's plan of redemption. That's the reason they threw rocks, it seems. You can preach the Ten Commandments and people chafe under your sermon. You can talk about the beautiful philosophical positions of the Old Testament books and get away with it. You can say that a great preacher preached a great sermon on the mount. That preacher was named Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And he gave a wonderful message and said, Pure in heart, for they shall see God. And people say, Isn't it lovely? Isn't that lovely? Certainly was a beautiful sermon. But you force the issue. All the hatred gathers here. You're lost without Jesus. 
God, in his infinite wisdom, found just one plan of redemption. Infinite God, wise, couldn't find but one way, and this is his way. There's no other name given unto him among man, whereby he be saved in the name of Jesus. And somebody says, one religion's as good as another, just so you do the best you can. It's a devil's love. The best you can will send you to hell. It took the best that God could do to take you to heaven. That's the issue. That's the issue of Easter. This issue will not be forced in many pulpits, comparatively speaking. Up and down the land, drives are being put on for church membership. And the papers say, uh, uh, go to church, go to church, go to church. That's all right. The church isn't the issue. Devil wouldn't like to have the some people go to church where the gospel's preached, he'll keep you where if he can. But if you're going to choose between the church of Jesus, he'll tell you to take the church. If you won't take the devil's worst, he'll want you to take what's next to the worst. Anything, anytime, anywhere, on any circumstances that shoves Jesus Christ out of sight. Whether it's a scientific laboratory, a pipe organ, a choir, or eloquence of a preacher, or anything else. The devil's for it. If you can just shove him out of sight. He said, heaven's open. You know what I see? <laughs> He's up there. I see him. And they said, that's enough. Now, we just won't take that. Our religious leaders put him on a cross and stirred up the people. Let's throw a rock at him, get rid of him, so he'll stop talking like that. It'll ruin us. It condemns us. This is condemnation that light came to the world. And the world shows darkness instead of light. And that's the reason the world's under condemnation. And he hung on the cross and said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. But if you are lost, you know what you are doing. I'm telling you today. There's but one of two alternatives for you, and that's Jesus Christ or hell. Only one way to heaven. No other name given unto heaven among men except his name. That's what Abel said when he brought his little lamb as an offering. And when Jesus appeared on the scene, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God. The Lamb slain for the foundation of the world. All these little lambs and all the slaughter of bullocks. 
told of the Lamb, God's Lamb. Before we stop, of course, every day is Easter to us Christians. We just take advantage of the day to give a new emphasis, a little stronger. All of our days are Easter days when we're Christians. We are this side of the open tomb and we are risen with Christ. We try to seek those things that are above. But I've been doing a lot of thinking here lately. You know, he said something about he that believes on me shall not see death. Stephen didn't see death. He saw Jesus, the Son of Man. He didn't even see the rocks for the glory. And all the mocking, cursing, hissing, spitting, cruel, crooked, hell-bound gang about him. He cried out in prayer for them, not for himself. He was all right. I think when you die, if you are saved, even though you may be in a coma, and people may think you're unconscious. You won't be unconscious about eternal values. You won't see death. You'll see Jesus. The Son of Man. At the right hand of God. And he said he's standing You know, he thinks so much of those that are saved, I think he was getting up to welcome him. You know, the whole picture of Jesus in the Bible is a died, was buried, rose again, and sat down at the right hand of the Father. Other words, he sat down because there's nothing else to do but welcome the saints home. What of them's coming, Stephen said, he's standing up. That's significant. He didn't say he's, I see him seated. That's his place, a seated position. All the redemptive work's been done, and it's up to you. And I think I see Jesus standing up and getting ready to say, Come on home, Steve. I hope on this Easter Sunday you're on the way. Are you? If you are on the way, you are on the Christ way. For there is no other way home. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, if there should be one in this building today or one listening over there that's not saved, make this an Easter day, really an Easter day for such an one. Help him say, Jesus, I've tried the world. I've tried my way. I've tried my plan. Maybe there's somebody listening that's been a drunkard. Tried to quit drinking. He didn't want to drink. Maybe somebody else dripped in some other sin he tried to get rid of and couldn't. He said, I don't want to be like this. I love my family. I love my children. love my home. I want to be different, but the religion they had wouldn't make them different. 
because it's the world's religion. But thank God that we have a Savior able not only to save but to keep us faithful. While our heads are bowed and eyes are closed on this Easter Sunday, formal day it is. Well, now many people here this morning know you're saved today. Put your hand up just a moment. Thank you. Take it down. Well, anybody here can say, I couldn't say that. I wish I could say it, and I'd like to be remembered in prayer. Put your hand up before we dismiss and we'll have a little prayer. Anybody couldn't say that? You would like to be remembered in prayer. Put your hand up. I can't see over the building very well everywhere. It looked like every hand, practically, if not all of them, went up. But if there's anybody here, say, I'd like to be remembered in prayer. Put your hand up. Anybody ease it up anywhere? Maybe a visitor today. I think I see one hand. Anybody else anyway? If so, put your hand up. Just a moment. May God help us to be faithful, to be true, and bless these, Lord, who know thee, and help them to be faithful to thee. Help us to meet somebody in heaven sometimes because of this Sunday morning message. We pray in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.